0: Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, Building Faith and Friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the second half of the Gospel of Mark, entitled Come Die With Me.
1: Mark 11 to 27 to 33, the authority of Jesus questioned. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, They feared the people, For everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered, Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Mark 12, verses 13 to 17. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others, because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him.
0: Thank you very much, Claire. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word in Jesus' name. Who made you the boss? That, in essence, is what the teachers of the law the Pharisees, were challenging Jesus with. Where has your authority come from? And I guess there's something in all of us that uh, naturally tends to rebel against authority. Who are you to tell me what to do? You ever said that or thought it? I have several times. In fact, I worked with a, an English colleague for a number of years who was convinced that the Welsh had particular issues with that, but I used to say he was racist. I don't know if that's true. But actually, there's a greater subtlety to the chief priests, teachers of the law, and elders challenging Jesus. There are two reasons why they needed to do that. The first is that they were used to being in charge. Within the culture, society, religious system that uh, they were part of, they were the natural authority, and everybody knew that. That's just how things were. In matters of religion and faith and ethics and how to live, these people were the ones who told you what to do. So this upstart young rabbi, Jesus, self-appointed teacher, is daring to question and to challenge the authority that they assumed was theirs by divine right. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is perhaps more significant. And that is that they were significantly threatened by Jesus because they could see that he had a natural divine authority that they did not have. And they knew that the people recognized that And that's a threat to them and to their position. We read earlier on in Mark's Gospel uh, that they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So you see, word had got around that this guy, Jesus, this young rabbi, had an authority about him that they could see was lacking in the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and the elders. So that's a problem for them because their natural position is being threatened. And we need to recognize when perhaps we ourselves are in that kind of situation. It's easy to assume that authority goes with position, as the chief priests and teachers of the law were doing. Because they had that role, therefore they were the authority. But of course, in spiritual terms, authority is nothing to do with position. It's to do with character and with the heart of the person concerned. And Jesus had a heart of integrity, a heart of compassion, a heart of love, a heart of real concern for God and for people that actually they knew they didn't have. And the people recognized that. So similarly for us, we need to recognize divine authority even when it may appear in people and in situations where we're really not expecting it. And so often I think that's the way in which God works, that suddenly we realize he's saying something to us from a source that we really would not have expected, when maybe the source is where we have been expecting it and where we assume it would be present because of role and position. Actually, it's lacking. So true authority, the authority that Jesus has, comes from his godly character and not from whatever position we may or may not hold. So Jesus then, in his usual fashion, challenges them by asking them the question about John the Baptist, whom they'd had similar issues with. So John's authority, Jesus asks in verse 29 and 30, is it from... Heaven, or is it of human origin? And just before getting at what that would have meant to them, I think we should perhaps just identify how that question is an important one for us in a church at the beginning of the 21st century. Because we live in strange times as far as Christian faith is concerned in Western Europe. For somewhere around 1700 years, there was an era that commentators refer to as Christendom that indicated that for many countries in Western Europe and North America, the general outlook and understanding was that we were Christian nations, that the foundations of our society were Christian, that people grew up and would have been taught Uh, and and grown up with the knowledge of the outlines of the Christian faith. Not necessarily that they were individually committed to Christ, but certainly there would have been an awareness of what the gospel message and the Christian uh, belief was. And churches could safely assume that really up until 20 or 30 years ago. And the way in which we conducted ourselves as churches and the kind of things we did were based upon that tradition. Well, things have changed, as I dare say we are all aware. And commentators are now saying, well, the era of Christendom is over. And countries of the Western world no longer can depend on the base that was their foundation. So the traditions upon which we have relied and upon which we could assume people gave assent and were familiar with are no longer present. So that gives us difficulties as a church because we have to adjust our identity and how we do things perhaps in order to accommodate the fact that people who now may be drawn to church have no clue about the teachings of Jesus and the basic outline of the Christian faith. So it's a difficulty for us because we have to wrestle with what for us are traditions of men and what is divine authority. And it's not always easy to see the difference between the two, especially if, as many of us here have done so, uh, we've spent most of our lives attending church and are very familiar with its traditions, culture, and practice. So this is something that is an issue for us and which we must be continually aware of, that we do not invest in traditions of men, things that actually are really uh, not in fact, of divine origin. They're just the way we've got used to doing it. It doesn't mean we throw everything out and change everything and have to do everything completely differently, but it does mean we have to keep asking the question, is this from heaven or is it from men? So back to the Pharisees and Jesus, and they struggle with this question because, of course, they want to say, well, he, he was just a man. <clears throat> but they know that that's dangerous because the people recognized in John the Baptist that here was something divine, just as they were recognized in Jesus. Not that John was the son of God, as Jesus was, but he clearly was a prophet, appointed and anointed to prepare the way for Jesus. So they don't want to answer this question because that would give away what's actually going on in their hearts, which is just to find a way of tripping Jesus up and getting him into trouble and giving them an excuse for taking him down, as it were. So again, we have to ask ourselves about our own questions and our own challenges to divine authority. It's fine to have doubts and questions, and we wouldn't be human if we did not have them. But what may be a problem is if we use those doubts and questions to avoid obeying what we actually know is God's divine authority. So nothing wrong with doubts and questions, and many of us will struggle with them perhaps throughout our lives, but we can't use those as an excuse for not doing what we clearly know God wants us to do. And that in some ways is what the Pharisees, teachers of the law, etc. were trying to do. They were trying to create an excuse for not doing what actually was God's will. So we all need from time to time to examine ourselves and say, well... I have this issue, this problem, maybe, with God or with believing this or whatever it is. But does that stop me living the life of obedience that actually Jesus wants us all to live as his followers? So there's the first challenge to Jesus. And it was an unsubtle, direct, and blunt, but, as we might expect, totally defeated by the skillful way in which Jesus turned it around and demanded an answer from them, which he knew they would not be able to give. He catches out their duplicity. So if we look then at the second few verses that Claire read to us, we find an interesting thing. They have clearly decided to try a more subtle approach The direct, blunt approach hasn't worked. Jesus saw through that. So they think, okay, let's try and be a bit more subtle. And we need just to understand a little bit of the background here to fully appreciate that. In verse 13, we read, Later they, that's the chief priests, teachers of the law and elders, sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Now, The Pharisees were regarded as the authorities on the Torah, the Jewish law. So they were the uh, very well-informed commentators who could interpret the law and would give you exact information about what you had to do and uh, what you had to obey and what you didn't have to do. So for them, they would have had an answer to the question of paying imperial tax, which I'll say a bit more about in a moment. they they were experts so so their view, their understanding would have been taken as authority and then the Herodians were people who were loyal to King Herod who was, if you like, a Roman vassal he was the Jewish king but he was there because he had the support and, and blessing, so to say of the Roman Empire So he could only rule and exercise his authority by virtue of the permission of Rome, who were the dominating, occupying force, obviously, in uh, Palestine at that time. So the Herodians, people from that party, would definitely have said, yes, of course, you must pay the imperial tax, because they depended for their position of authority on the support of Rome so they're not going to fall out with Rome. The Pharisees may also have said that you should do that because of their interpretation of the law but they knew that many of the Jews didn't like the imperial tax. It was uh, not something they were very happy about. So they wanted, again, to catch Jesus out by, you see, if he said, yes, you must pay, then they could accuse him just of being obedient to Rome without having concern for the people's issues. But if he said, then you shouldn't pay, then they could arrest him because that was uh, seditious. That would be going against the authority. And their subtlety continues. When they say, teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? So you see, they're actually, at least in the word, recognizing the divine authority that Jesus has. They're saying to him, we fully understand that. That's not a threat to us. We see that you are a genuine man of God and that you teach the truth. So they think by coming with that sort of preamble, Jesus will be uh, more likely to be complying with the question that they want to ask him. But we're told in the next little line "But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asks. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So this is where Jesus again demonstrates his subtle approach to this trick question. See, the denarius was the coinage, the currency that the Romans had brought with them. And throughout their extensive empire, and they were a major world power, don't forget at that time, they ruled effectively all the known world, all the civilized world from their center in Rome. And they would require that for certain kinds of exchange, their own coinage was used, the denarius, because on that was stamped, was molded, the image of Caesar, the head of the empire, whom the Romans regarded more or less as a god. So there was something very symbolic about the coinage. Wherever the Roman coins were present, it indicated and was symbolic of the rule of Rome. It was a sort of mark that in this territory we use these coins because this is part of the Roman Empire. And Jesus doesn't attempt to challenge that. He says, look at the coin. Whose portrait is this? Whose inscription? And they say Caesar's. And then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And here we have to understand what would have been in their minds. These are well-educated Jews, well-taught in the law. So when Jesus said, Who's, whose portrait is this or whose image is this on the coin, and then Give to Caesar to, what's well, Caesar's and to God what is God's, they would have immediately thought and understood that he's making a comparison with every human person as bearing the image, the stamp of God. <clears throat> so, just as the Roman coin bears the stamp of the emperor, every person on earth, at all times, throughout all history, bears the stamp, the image of God, who is the creator. And that would have been the resonance, although it's not stated in the passage, but that would have been immediately what would have come into the minds of the Herodians and the Pharisees. Which is why it says they were amazed at him. Because they understood there was no getting away from the fact that they, as image bearers of God, owed allegiance to God. Yes, there's the Roman coinage, there's the imperial tax. That's a situation at the moment, so as obedient citizens we pay it. But that isn't the point particularly. The important point is because we're image bearers of God, we owe our lives to Him, and in a sense <coughs> excuse me, we pay our lives to Him. So there's a final challenge for us this morning from this passage. We bear God's image by virtue of being human. You cannot be human and not bear the image of God. We owe our lives to him because he's made us in his image. And Jesus, of course, calls us to follow in his way of obedience as we seek to walk in his footsteps and empowered by his spirit to bring his kingdom here on earth. So to just quickly summarize, all authority in the universe ultimately belongs to Jesus. That's what the first group of people couldn't get hold of. And maybe many today have trouble with that because it doesn't look as though that is the case. But nevertheless, it is. He is the creator and sustainer of all, whether it's recognized or not. And if we want to follow him, we have to submit to his authority Sometimes that's difficult, but always in the long term it's for our good, even if it seems hard at times. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his authority, which people in his own time recognized and which we in turn recognize today as we read your word and see the amazing things that he taught and that he did. We pray you'd help us to be willing and glad in our obedience of you, in our following of Jesus, that we may hasten the coming of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.